Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 20. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. I feel like you want to say something, you know. So you stand up and you, you, know, you fix your clothes. And it's a protocol. You got this is what you have to say to start it off. Otherwise, your testimony is a test of lie. So <laughs> it's, not, it's not testify, it's a test of lie if you don't get with the protocol. I'm just trying to help you all understand now. If you don't want to understand, shut down. Okay, so you stand up and you, you stand up and you go through the protocol. You go, giving on to God who is ahead of my life. Am I right about it, y'all? Giving honor to God, who is the head of my life. First of all, I want to give honor to God, and I want to acknowledge the pastor and his first lady. You always got to say that, right? And, you know, my people. You know, my people call my wife the first lady. She tell you, I'm not the first lady. I'm the only lady. Elvira <laughs> will tell you quick. Elvira, don't that sound just like her? Now, don't that sound just like her? She, Shoot, if I tell you in a minute, they go, oh, they meet her, they meet her, they meet her, they go, oh, well, you are the first, I didn't know who Pastor Roddy's wife was, you must be, you're the first lady. She go, oh, no, sweetie, I'm the only lady. There ain't no other, and there won't be any other either. <laughs> no, we don't roll like that here at Calvary Chapel, hallelujah. <laughs> Let the church say amen, amen, and amen. So you stand up and first give an honor to God who's ahead of my life. First of all, I want to give honor. <laughs> I remember this one lady. She used to crack me up. I remember this one. She used to, every single time she used to say it just like this. She'd go, first of all, I want to give honor to God who's ahead of my life. I want to thank honor the pastor and, and the first lady. I want to thank God that I am saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and that with fire. <laughs> She said all the time, she go, save, save the fire, filled with the Holy Ghost, and that with fire. <laughs> and she, I'm going, woo, all right. And then she go on and give a testimony. So can you imagine this man who has 6,000 demons giving his testimony? He would stand up and say, I first of all want to give honor to God, Jesus, who is right there, and um, who is the head of my life. He is right there. And uh, I was filled with 6,000 demons, and he set me free right there. <laughs> and everybody looking at him going, okay, 6,000 demons, okay. So the demons, they asked Jesus, y'all know the story, to allow them to go into the pigs. And Jesus said, okay, and he cast them into the pigs. Remember that? Should I do it? Should I do it? This is the first mention of deviled ham in the Bible. (laughs) Write that down. The demons 
There's no more. I have no more. That's it. That's it. I have no more. The demons entered the pigs and they ran over the cliff into the sea and word got out about what happened to the demons and, and, and uh, what happened to the demon possessed man. Well, listen, Mary Magdala lived in the area from our bell. You would see uh, on the left, you would see uh, Magdala, Capernaum, and Gadara. And if my guess is right, that whole area was demonically influenced. Now, again, I don't believe there's a demon behind every bush. Although, I do believe that there are certain areas that are more demonically influenced than others. And even in our country today, there are certain cities that have more demonic activity and more lawlessness and licentiousness and no shame and no regard for the things of God more than other. I do believe that there are kind of territorial demons. Now, some people really get into it and they, they take a team of people and mark off the territory and strategize and we're going to go and run the demons out. I don't think you need to do all that. All you need to do is pray for that area. God can hear me pray for California as he can, and I'm in North Carolina, just like he can hear me if I'm in New York City praying for North Carolina. God is not limited by distance. Somebody say amen. He's not limited by distance, but I do believe that there are certain demons that are territorial, uh, if you will. Now listen, some scholars, let me move forward here. Some scholars get this woman mixed up with the immoral woman from Luke chapter 7. And I believe that that's a different woman and no biblical connection in chapter 7, because we have this immoral woman who came to Jesus, you know the story, with the alabaster cruise of ointment and washed his feet with her tears and wiped his feet with her hair. I believe this is a different woman because in the Gospels, watch this, you're going to love this. Do your homework and check it out. In the New Testament or in the Gospels, when you read of a harlot or you read of a prostitute, her name is never given. Never. Why? Because God's not into embarrassing people. God's not trying to embarrass you. There is a beautiful anonymity for everyone who comes to Jesus for forgiveness, no matter what your sin. Somebody clap your hands and say, thank God. No matter what your sin, God doesn't just throw you under the bus. And thank God for that. And so I don't believe that this Mary Magdalene is the same immoral woman in Luke chapter 7, I think very different. You got to feel for Mary, don't you? Imagine being possessed by demons. How many times she wanted to cry out for help and some other voices came out? She was obviously ostracized from family and friends and nieces and nephew. Her life was a living hell until Jesus came to town. And those demons were no match for Jesus. Somebody say amen. Maybe Jesus just said one word, be gone. We don't know what he said when he cast the demons out. He could have said be gone. Scram. Skedaddle. Vamos. Jesus can speak other languages. We don't know. We don't know what he said, but he cast those demons out. And he gave that woman, Mary Magdalene, her life back. 
and she never forgot that. And because of that, that Mary loved him supremely. And she never left his side, even to the cross. Mary gets to the tomb and she noticed the stone had been rolled away and she ran and she came to Peter and the other disciples and the other disciple that Jesus loved. Now we know the other disciple that Jesus loved is who, saints? John. And we find this statement, the other disciple that Jesus loved, four times in John's gospel. Think John trying to tell us something, Right. I am the disciple that Jesus, I want you all, of all of the 12, I am the one that he loved more than you guys. He's, he just keeps saying it over and over. So she comes to Peter and John and tells them that they have taken Jesus out of the tomb and they don't know where they have laid him. Now, we are not sure who they are. Maybe they are the Jews and she thinks that they have taken him for some further desecration of his body or they are the Romans have stolen their, his body because they thought he ought to be buried outside of the city in a dump with the other criminals or maybe they are grave robbers and they have taken him for some other purpose. She didn't know and we don't know who they are. Look at verse 3. Peter and John took off running, and the other disciple outran Peter. Now, I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Keep in mind, okay, so it's funny because of this. John is 90 years old. Y'all ain't hearing me. John is 90 years old. He, he is an old guy. And he's writing this many, many, many years later. And John is remembering the good old days. And John is probably thinking, you know, I remember when we went to that tomb, I outran Peter. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> I mean, and I think it's just hilarious because here we are in this story, this beautiful story of it came in the morning, these women with spices, and they loved Jesus so much. They got to the tomb, and he wasn't there. This beautiful story, and right in the middle of this beautiful story, and by the way, I outran Peter. <laughs> it just feels so random to me. I mean, I don't know. And so Peter just took off running just like him. Peter is ready, fire, aim. Y'all get that on the way home. John is probably thinking, this is the Bible, and a lot of people are going to be reading this story, so I wanted to be clear that I ran faster than Peter. Well, Peter comes rushing in, and he sees the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that was wrapped around his head folded neatly in the corner, and this blew them away because, listen, you must get this, listen. In the Jewish culture, when you were done eating, you would ball your napkin up and throw it in the center of the table, which is kind of what we do today. When we're done eating, we take our napkin, we just throw it in the center of the table. But if you were coming back, say you got a cell phone call and you need to go answer your cell phone call or you, you know, had to go to the bathroom or something like that and you were planning to come back to the table, you would take and fold your napkin neatly and place it on the table and that told the people at the table and the table server that you were coming back. Well, I think, listen, Jesus on that great getting up morning, wanted to leave everybody uh, who came to that tomb that day and everybody for thousands of years later to know that he is coming back. That he, I'm waiting while you clap your hands there. 
He folded that handkerchief to leave that message that I'm coming back. Verse 5, John stooped down, looked in. Look at verse 5. He saw the linen clothes laying there. Get this. John looked at the missing body and the position of the grave clothes and probably thought this was no robbery. John noticed the takrahim was like a linen cocoon. It was laying there intact on a stone slab, intact but hollow. He noticed the head wrapping was neatly folded over in the corner, and John put it together and realized that Jesus rose from the dead and it had gone through the grave clothes. Okay, get that Hollywood version out of your head. He didn't unwrap the grave clothes like he came back alive and then unwrapped the grave clothes. All the way down and then got out of them and then got out and then walked through. The no, 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 no. That's not what happened. The indication is that he literally rose up out of the Takrahim and he left it like a cocoon. And then he took the head wrapping and folded it nice and neat and put it over there to leave a message that he's coming back, to also leave a message that this was not the work of grave robbers because grave robbers are not going to clean up the place before they take the body. They're not going to fold up things nice and put the towels away and everything before they leave. They're just going to grab what they're going to get and get gone. But Jesus just rises out of that strips of linen like a cocoon, get this. You've heard of the Shroud of Turin. I was doing some reading, and it appears, listen to this, the evidence indicates that the Shroud of Turin is a first century ancient shroud, that it does not contradict the New, New, New Testament account, that the image is not fake, and that it very well could be the burial garment of Jesus. The research, listen, and the research comes from the Shroud of Turin Research Project, October 1978. The research shows that the shroud is of a crucified bearded 5'11 male. His physique was muscular and well-built, uh, estimated age to be around 30 to 35, he would have had long hair, a pullback and a ponytail. There's no evidence of decomposition of the clothes. The shroud is not a forgery, they said. They determined that it is blood, that the blood is real blood, and the image seems to be some type of scorching, which I found to be fascinating. Like, there was some type of scorching to this takrahim, although they don't know that it was in fact the shroud that belonged to Jesus. And the reason they don't know that because they, one, don't have his blood type. So if they know it was blood, they don't know what Jesus' blood type was, so they can't match that. And there's certain other things that they can't really match to Jesus it's possible that it was the shroud of Jesus, and it's possible that it wasn't. And if I had my guess, don't write this down. 
if I had my guess, I would say it probably isn't. You know why? Because God knows man has a propensity to worship the created thing rather than the creature or the creator. Man has a propensity to worship an object and not worship God. And if man knew that that shroud belonged to Jesus, that thing would, people would be coming from around the world just to touch the glass that is in and the flowers and it'd be candles all the way back here in North Carolina to, because to, people would worship it versus the one who was in the shroud. So I'm not so sure. God, God wouldn't do that. Every time somebody tells you they, they found splinters from the cross and somebody was selling splinters from the cross and people was buying it. We will worship anything but Jesus. Am I right about that? So I, don't write it down. That's my opinion. I don't think God would do that. I honestly think is it dated to where it's dated? Yeah. Is all that true? Yeah. But did it belong to Jesus? I doubt it. I want you to see something here. Three main Greek words for saw. Look at verse 5. I had you underline it. Look at verse 5. John saw the linen cloth. That means, if you're taking notes, a mere glance. We have three different Greek words here. Look at verse 6. Peter came in and saw the linen clothes. That means to take careful notice. Look at verse 8. John looked in and saw and believed. That means to see with understanding. Peter had more sight. John had more insight. Verse 8 tells us they believed. Believe what? He believed Jesus was alive. He believed it was a resurrection. Somebody say amen. He believed there was no explanation except the resurrection. He believed grave robbers did not take the body. Grave robbers wouldn't again take the time to clean up. How could anybody get past the Roman guards and then break the Roman seal? Don't you know the Roman imperial seal was soft and moldable substance like clay and imprinted with the Roman stamp and attached with a rope? And if you got past the guards and broke the seal, that meant death. Matthew tells us they set guards at the tomb of Jesus. Interesting, Rome is guarding a dead man. Just in case the disciples or some grave robbers want to steal the body. Listen, I've said this before. The resurrection of Jesus is the hinge on which the door of Christianity swings. Everything that we are. Everything that we believe hinges on the resurrection factor. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then he's just another martyr who died for a cause. If Jesus didn't rise, then he is no different than Confucius or Muhammad. If Jesus isn't risen, then, there, then he is no different than any other dead prophet. The Christian faith, listen to me, and I'm coming in for a landing, listen. The Christian faith rises and falls on one question. Just one. Did Jesus rise from the grave or not? Period. The whole faith. We're talking about thousands of years of believers. Rises and falls on one question. 
Did he rise from the grave or not? If the resurrection is not true, our faith is in vain. If Christ be not risen, all that he went through is in vain. If Christ be not risen, the disciples lost their lives and their families in vain. If Christ be not risen, then why are you in church today? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 12 through 14. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, then how do some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is what, saints? Empty. And your faith is what? Also empty. And if the dead do not rise, then what? Christ is not risen. And y'all reading the same thing I'm reading. For if the dead do not rise, then what? Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. The fact that Jesus suffered, bled, and died to cleanse us from our sin. And I propose to you that today, just one drop of Jesus' blood can forgive you and cleanse you. One drop of Jesus' blood can change your life forever. Somebody clap your hands and say amen. One drop. One drop of Jesus' blood can transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, just like that. When we believe that Jesus rose from the grave in a body, tangible and touchable, he did not rise. I'm letting y'all get out of here. Go get your chicken sandwich. Hold on. He did not rise as a phantom or a spirit or a ghost or some ethereal force. He rose in a physical body that could be touched and handled. 1 John 1, 1 and 2. John says just that. John says, I knew him face to face. I didn't experience some secondhand religious experience or an experience you read about in the book. I knew him face to face. I saw him eye to eye. I, did, I heard him speak with my own ears. I studied him carefully. I touched him. He wasn't a phantom or ghost. He was the word of life. John had been telling us the word that they handled, the word that they gazed upon, the word that had come from eternity, the word that was equally God, the word that was eternally God, the word that was essentially God. This word is Jesus who rose from the dead. We saw him, John says, and others saw him. Post-resurrection, more than 500 people saw Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 tell us just that. More than 500 people saw him after he rose from the grave. Post-resurrection, he appeared to Simon. Post-resurrection, he appeared to Thomas. Thomas, take your fingers and put them in my hand and take your whole hand and put it into my side and don't be doubting, but believe. Post-resurrection, Jesus said, Mary, Mary was crying and, and a man appears behind him and, and behind her and, and Jesus said, Mary, and I told you this, you can't look in Jesus' eyes and not be affected. You can't look in Jesus' eyes and not be changed. There was something very different about him, about the eyes. And I think there was something very different about his voice. So Mary is crying. Jesus is standing behind her. He said, Mary, she knew that voice because I'm going to tell you something. Every Christian knows that voice. Every Christian knows that voice. She knew that voice. And she turned around and she said, Rabboni, teacher. 
And then Mary put Jesus in a full Nelson and wouldn't let him go. Jesus said, don't cling to me. Go tell others what you have seen. Jesus appeared to the disciples in post-resurrection appearance. And I'll tell you something. Jesus is showing up here all the time. Matthew chapter 18. I said, I'm closing. I'm really closing right here. Matthew 18 tells us where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm going to be there. And I would submit to you, Jesus is here right now. Am I right about it? He's here right now. Because more than two or three are gathered in here right now. Not unless I'm Stevie Wonder. He's always here. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.